Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. Here we are again. More imposter syndrome for you. I know, right? Because we can't get enough of it because we can all relate to it and... Well, I'm learning something. Uh, but I love that you actually, when we spoke to Susan in our last episode, if you haven't gone and listened to that yet, I'd say go and have a listen because Suzanne talks about her experience with imposter syndrome working in advertising mm. and how she took what she learnt to then go and help other people to deal with their imposter syndrome. And you said, oh, I don't know, I've never experienced this, which I just love. I just love that about <laughs> you so much. Well, yeah, I, I just the whole time that she was talking, I was like... I, I don't know what you're talking I about. I love that because so many people experience this and you don't. And I, I just think that's so refreshing. I experience it's good. lots of other things instead. Of course you do. But not that. I just, I think, it, so it, for me, it's such a foreign thing, but it's obviously great to have, whether you're like someone that does experience this or doesn't, mm. to have a level of awareness that people do, oh, I think is very important. Absolutely. Especially if you're in a managerial position. Yes. Or, you know, you're working with people who <laughs> who but potentially you can see this in mm. them. Well, now you know how to deal with it a bit better. Mm. Um, so today, this episode is about some personal experiences. Now, we put a call out. This is a little while ago, but we've been so busy. You know what was interesting? We did. We put a call out to mm. people and said, hey, would you love to come on? Can we interview you? Mm. That was particularly interesting how people responded. Why? Because we had people saying, I would love to, but no. Oh. Oh no no! I had I had about four people say yes, but listeners, I know you did, we but had, I had people did. saying, "Oh, I would love to," but yeah, almost like embarrassed or ashamed to yeah. own it. And I think hopefully after listening to this, you'll be a little bit more accepting of how many people feel this way, and that you're not alone. And it's so important that we talk about it. Yeah. So today. My, one of my favourite podcasts, This American Life, they do this thing where they're like, they've got little stories. They just come in, they introduce it, then they move on to a different one. Usually different stuff. So we're going to take that approach today. Now, you were away on one of your jaunts somewhere amazing. My jaunts. Sipping pina coladas yeah, yeah, by that's a pool what I do. in Arizona or something. Yeah, I do that. I, so the one thing everyone <laughs> takes, like it was like such a, when I was in Arizona, it was such a busy, full on, but all anyone saw was me on a clifftop having a cocktail. Mm-hmm. That was That was like... Four hours People of... People only see what they want to see. This is true. But that was like four hours of like 200. It's fine. You don't have to justify your pina colada. It's all good. I'm not justifying my pina colada anyway, actually. <laughs> good. <laughs> so today we are bringing you a couple of uh, real stories from people, lovely ladies who were prepared to share their experience of imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. So our first one is Rosie. So in our series talking about imposter syndrome and how we feel about it, I'm wondering whether this is truly a female thing, but I think we need to branch out and find some guys that are happy to talk about it as well. But Rosie, the delightful Rosie, who, well, you can introduce yourself. Uh, well, I've known you for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I've worked at what is known as Stereo, which is sort of like the... Mad auntie of Podcast One. Yes, the mad auntie. Um, I've been there since 1995. I was 19 years of age and I currently work on the Triple M Breakfast Show in Melbourne. Right. And have done for nine, ten, nine years. <laughs> I'm mentioning these facts because of what we're about to talk about. Absolutely. I'm glad you did mention those facts because it makes you go, time is really a thing that you have no control over, isn't it? And it doesn't make you feel like you are any better at your job than you were when you were 19 years of age. Well, there you go. 
I put a call out on uh, social media to talk about this because I'm fascinated by it. I think because I have suffered from this for a, for a long time and didn't know that it was actually a thing that other people suffered from as well. I just thought it was just me and I was not very good at backing myself. And it's kind of embarrassing to admit that you feel like you're a complete fraud because <laughs> you kind of generally go about your day as a competent person and then go, hang on, I don't feel like I am mm. all the time. So tell me about your feelings towards this idea of imposter syndrome because you work in a, an industry that is heavily male-dominated. Yes, in some ways. Like on air, probably, definitely, but certainly uh, as far as producers or promotions or other departments, it's um, probably easily 50-50. So I don't feel like I've only been working with men for the last 25 years, which no, has been good. That is good. Um, I think... So I, I'm guessing that I'm doing the job that I'm doing, which is um, panelling and talking a little bit on the breakfast show. I've got that job because I'm really good at what I do. Mm-hmm. And like I know that that's probably the reason why, but I don't believe that. I had to take some leave for some family reasons a couple of weeks ago and I asked somebody that I thought w- would be really good to, to fill in for the time that I needed to be away. And that whole time, not the whole time, but I was like, oh, They'll probably like him more and I'll, and I'll come back and, and they won't want me anymore. And, 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 you know, they'll, they'll, they'll work out that I'm really actually not very good at my job. Like it's just been this lie the whole time and they've just put up with me. Over and now they've got years. an excuse <laughs> to find someone else. But I, yeah, I don't know why. Like it, it's just a confidence thing. And I was reading something on the ABC the other day when I was doing my research to do this little chat because that's part of it. Like, I'm an imposter, so I have to, you know, arm myself with facts Uh to try and pretend that I'm, you know, You can't wing your way through it. But, uh, yeah, I think it said that... um, Oh, I took this bit out of it as like an ego boost, but it's often for people that are high achievers in some way that Mm -hmm. it makes it more difficult for us, apparently, to... um, to get the fact that we're actually okay at what we do. I wonder too that this world that we live in now where um, everyone seems to be portraying this idea of themselves, that there's this pressure on us that we have to have an image that we're successful and that we're confident and that we're doing well and that any sign of um, weakness or fragility, fragility yeah. means that you're just going to get swept under the carpet. And I think just the whole idea of what success is like I'm a single woman, no kids. I'm a renter and I'm 42. It's like, okay, I'm not ticking any of the boxes that <laughs> people should be at my stage of life. And you kind of go, Oh, I'm, I don't know. Am I successful? And then there's probably other people who have a mortgage and four kids and whatever going, Oh my God, you, uh, you know, you're, you're going great, but you're it's, living the dream. It's what, what do you measure success on? But I think because, you know, I was 19, it was my first job and I was muddling my way through. And then they went, oh, well, actually, we've got somebody else who's better at this than you are. So from very early on, I was sort of thrust into something, had no idea what I was doing. And very early on, I was told, no, you're actually not any good. We're going to find somebody else, which mm. is part of, you know, I think it would probably manage in a, in a way that could have been managed better at that time, perhaps. Or maybe I only heard the message, you're not good enough. Mm. And so from my very first memory of having a proper job, there's always been that doubt. Somebody else will be better and will come along and take it away from me. Yeah, I don't know how we adjust to this. <laughs> because I am reading this book at the moment called Mind Gym. Oh, okay. And it's it's excellent. I got it from the library. Yes. I'm, I'm really getting into this idea of buying things from getting buying things from the library because I ha- fantastic. have to pay for it in late fees because I never take anything back on time. <laughs> However, 
in this book, it's about teaching you how to think differently about what's going on in your life. And the last chapter I read was about procrastination. Mm -hmm. Did you read it though? (laughs) Sorry. Uh I've been up since 4am, so I'm just uh, getting into dad joke territory. Good job. One of the things though about this procrastination was there's five types of procrastination and you have to go through and and read them and you do a little test to see which ones you are. Now, one of the ones that really made me think of this as well was fear of failure. Yes. So I think... I'd rather not try something than prove to be incompetent. That's right. Yeah, I would rather because I've always sort of wanted to learn the violin, or mm-hmm. but I don't want to learn it. I want to be awesome at it. So yep. I'm just like, I'm not even going to bother, you know, having a lesson over because I know that I won't be awesome because I can't be. You can't be great at something first up straight away. No. But then with work, like if there's a new system or I'm um, going to work on a new show or fill in for somebody or whatever, like it's a, it, even though I've been doing essentially the same job for over 20 years, if it's slightly different, I'm kind of better at doing that than the everyday because I, I will spend the time and actually make sure that I prepare myself in a way that means I won't be caught out as being a fraud. So you get your so armor up. I will spend up. the hours mm. and, and, and do that. Like mm. for this chat, we've chatted to each other in the hallway or whatever <laughs> for years, but I still had to do preparation for just us chatting about ourselves, yeah. which is weird. Like I had to do research <laughs> to talk about myself or mm-hmm. how I feel. Yep. So I found this thing, what triggers your feeling of uncertainty? Oh, brilliant. Run us through it. Yeah. I haven't looked at it. So I'm guessing that there'll be things that I'll straight away go, yep, this is why I feel like a fraud. Okay, let's get you. What do you relate to? Low balance in bank account. Oh, yes. Tick, that's not good. Not getting paid. Thankfully, that hasn't happened for me for a while. But when you're on casual rates, that is really hard. Well, I do a fair bit of work that doesn't actually bring in any money. So, yes, tick. <laughs> uh, not being invited to an event. Ooh. That happens and that burns. Mm. I know that you can't be invited to everything, but sometimes you go, oh, okay, I'm not being valued in this company because I haven't been invited to something. Yes. And it's really awful. Do you know what? From a work perspective, I think that's more difficult than in a social perspective. Social perspective, whatever, you know, that, that's, that's fine. Right. You know, you don't, it's like you, can't you don't have to get to invited everything. to the grade three party. No. But, um, but work if, things, that's really, really uncool. So how I, I can completely understand how you feel that you could be in a position where you have imposter syndrome in a work sense. Do you ever find you have it outside of work? I suppose in any aspect of life, you can feel like you're fumbling your way through, mm. like just being an adult. Yes. You know, it it's just sort of like, oh, am I really supposed to be responsible in some way? I mean, I guess you'd find it more so because you, you have little people to, to care for and yeah, that's um, a real, navigate. <laughs> that's a real uh, thing where you actually do find you just bluffing your way through, but you yeah. also find that most other people are bluffing their way through as well. When you can actually talk about it yeah. on a real level with your friends when you can sit down and do this, not on Facebook or not through mm, Instagram no. or not in the hallway or whatever, but when you actually do sit down and, and you can talk to your friends and they go, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing. And you're like, oh, same. <laughs> this is great. And then you can talk about it. So yep. it's kind of bizarre in that imposter syndrome does feel so isolated, but it does seem to be almost a common experience. Yeah, it does. How have you overcome it? Because you actually did take a break from radio for a while, didn't you? And then you got didn't drawn must. back into it. So, I mean, you must realise at some level that what you can do is valued and good. And there aren't many people that can actually... I think that was in. really good, actually, because I, I had got to that point where I'm like, I, 
I just didn't feel like I knew what I was doing anymore. And there were quite a few reasons for that. Um, I just feel at the time when I decided to take a break from radio, it was sort of at a crossroads for quite a few mm. people. And I think I made the first jump and then I, I know there's cycles in life. So it was probably the time to finish. And it was while um, the internet was really just starting to become a thing. So <laughs> I wanted to go and get some skills in um, how to do websites and Run write online. And, yes, exactly. Mm. So I thought, oh, I'll just go and do that. And I dabbled on weekends. I still did um, public radio on Triple R and I would do some shifts back at Triple M footy and whatever. So I kind of never really left, but I stopped having to have like the really responsible job. And then it, I was asked to do the really responsible job because somebody that they'd asked, it was a new show and they went, oh, we would like you to come back and, and do us a favour and, and help fill yeah. in. Did they actually ever say, you're really good at what you do and we need you to come back no, because you're the kind best of person the, for the job? That was, I guess that now looking back at it today, that was probably the inference. Yeah. But you see these people that come into this job that has particular skills and they come in, they've been doing it for two minutes and they seem to have so much confidence and just seem to, you know, I've got this and I'm the best person. I'm like, who are you freaky people? Mm. How can you possibly come in having been here literally for five minutes and have more confidence outwardly than me. It's bizarre. I did acting lessons a couple of years ago. I did it for about three years. Such an amazing way to understand the human psyche. Mm. Put a bunch of creative people in a room that desperately want to act and create characters and, and be in that ideal space but have so much baggage emotionally around mm. the process and watch what happens. But one of the things I discovered, and I think it comes back to this idea of what you said before about the, the more intelligent you are, the more you suffer from this because I guess you're you in You can the, see the risk. You can see the risk. Before you even before open you, your mouth. Exactly. Mm. So I realised that I think that to be a good actor in particular, you either have to be not very bright because you're not thinking through those things. You're just in the moment, you know, you're just like, right, I'm here, I'm doing this, let's do it. What are we doing? Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. let's go. Or yeah. you have to be so smart that you can dissect every moment, plan it or throw away your inhibitions to be in that moment and to take it all as it comes mm. and to be able to react accordingly. If you're somewhere in the middle, which is where I kind of put myself, mm. I was just like, oh, this is really hard. It's really tough because I'm second guessing and I'm doubting and I don't feel like I'm good enough. Because we don't talk about it generally, apart mm. from today, there's probably four other people in your class having that same conversation in their head. And it might be that the person who seems to be the most confident in class going, I've got this, you know, is probably the one possibly who's inside internalizing it all going, Oh my God. How, <laughs> how are they not saying that I am terrible at this or whatever their feeling yeah. is? Yeah. The floor's going to open. But just on that acting thing, like I did when I was, uh, I went back to uni as a mature age student and ended up doing some improv classes and honestly, that was probably one of the best things I've ever done mm. because you do have to, get outside yourself, you aren't able to overthink it because you just have to react and you have to learn about not blocking or saying no because it will ruin the game for everyone. That's so right. So you have to be somehow open. you can do something to help you uh, gain a bit of confidence 
and have some fun at the same time. I highly recommend doing something like that. Yeah. Or another person that I work with, uh, she was saying to me to get off doing, you know, online stuff and only sort of inward looking things. She's joined uh, a soccer team mm. for like the first time ever. And she said, it's great because I literally have to concentrate so hard that I'm not thinking about anything else. Yeah. And then she gets a sense of achievement because she's been a part of the team thing and, you know. And she's got all the adrenaline and everything, everything else that's been released from the actual exercise. Yeah. So, which takes your brain away from <laughs> everything. It's back Dealing to basics in some ways. Oh, everything Go out and have fun, some sunshine and have lots of water. Mm. So easy to say these things, Seth. And you're not crap. No, I'm still crap. <laughs> <laughs> you're not crap. That got me to thinking when we spoke to Rosie about whether it was just an industry thing. But no, this is, this. when we spoke to Suzanne, she said, no, this is widespread from surgeons to lawyers to... Everybody. Everybody. That idea that someone's going to tap you on the shoulder and go, actually, you don't know anything. <laughs> like, <laughs> what an awful feeling. And yes, so common. So, so good to know you're not alone and you do know your stuff. Trust that you know your and stuff. And also though, with that, is that... I subscribe to the fact that not everyone knows everything and things are constantly changing. So what we Mm. previously knew to be true, tomorrow might not be true anymore. And by someone tapping me on the shoulder and saying, hey, actually, that's changed. Well, that would be a kind way of saying it anyway, not you are wrong. (laughs) Um, That's the way I would see that. I would see it as, well, I can't know everything, but that's what I know to be true in this moment. Yeah, but I think it's also that broader thing of, you know, potentially working somewhere where they say, in a year's time, you'll be ready to do... X, Y, Z. When you're ready now, you know you're ready and you feel like you've got the skills, but because they're saying that, you feel like they know more about what you can do than you know, Mm. which we know that's not true. Mm. But anyway, we're just going to take a really quick break, but we will be back just after this. So our second lovely lady who decided to share brave was a friend of mine Jackie and Jackie works in advertising all right we are talking about imposter syndrome and how it affects our lives really now Jackie Witz are you happy to tell us your job title and give us a little rundown on who you are Yes, uh, I work in advertising. I'm a head of strategy and I've been doing that for about 18 years, which, well, not in the, as a head of strategy role, but uh, I have been working as a strategic planner for 18 years. So 18 years is a decent amount of time to have under your belt. Are you telling me that you still have moments where you feel like an imposter in your role? <laughs> Yes, definitely. Uh, and I think that's the thing about imposter syndrome is that you can have all the rational reasons why you shouldn't feel that way. And yet there is something inside of you that still does it. it probably happens less now, a lot less now. Um, but it certainly still happens to me. So well, how does it manifest for you? I mean, in terms of what you need to do with your job, do you, are you making, like, are you doing presentations and stuff and it kicks in or is it just more of a general feeling? I think for me, it's a general feeling. Um, it, it's that, when are the fraud police going to come and kick the door down and take me away? Tell me that I, I never actually knew what I was doing. But I think it manifests in my behavior by, I just go much deeper into my work because I want to know that I know everything before I walk into that room and then I can feel okay. No one's going to find me out because I've got it all covered. Um, So, but even having said that, 
that has subsided a little bit over time. I, I know now a bit more that I know my stuff. So I know that I can handle myself in the room. I can react on the spot. I can have an opinion that is based on my experience, uh, but it's still there. I think it's, it's part of, it's, it's baked into my own perfectionism. Um, wanting things to be at the very highest level. I want, if my name's on it, I want it to be really great. And um, and so I think that's where it comes from. What if it's not? What if someone says it isn't? What if they don't agree? What if they don't really like me? And it's all that those what ifs that, that play into your mind. So Isn't it interesting though, like you've hit the nail on the head there with what if they don't like it? What if they don't agree? What if they don't have the experience and the knowledge of what you're talking about, but they challenge you. Isn't it funny that we let these people who don't necessarily, uh, are not even looking to kind of bring us down, but are challenging us. And it's like the facade just crumbles inside. You think, Oh God, I've been, mm. uh, you know, I've been shown up. Mm. How can that be? Do you reckon? I think sometimes it comes from personal experience. I think there's an inner voice and an outer voice. So there's your own inner voice that kind of goes around in circles and tells you maybe you can't do this. Maybe there's an element of doubt there and it's it's linked to your self-esteem and your, mm. your security and all of that kind of thing and perfectionism. But I think there's also an external voice where maybe you have been challenged in a in a situation before by someone who did know more and you thought you should have known more than you did, but you have to be a little bit easy in, um, I, I can't be an expert on every topic. But then there's very real experiences as well. And um, when I knew I was coming to talk to you about this, I was thinking, when did when did all of this start for me? And it's probably always a little bit been there because I am a bit of a perfectionist with my work. Um, but I also remember very, very distinctly um, an experience at the beginning of my career where I was a junior planner and um, there was new management that came into the agency and my boss lost his job as a result. Um, and I got called into his office not knowing this and he took the time to tell me that I was no good at my job and I didn't know what I was doing and I thought it was a very glamorous industry, but I actually didn't know how to do it um, and I wasn't very good. And there was evidence to the contrary and I challenged him and said, "There, you know, here's, here's why I don't think that you're right. Um, and he said, well, I, I just don't agree with that. Um, and I left that meeting feeling absolutely shattered because I thought I've made terrible choices and maybe I'm not good and maybe I'm not as good as I think I could be or um and then it came to light that he'd he was letting off steam mm. with me mm. which wasn't a great thing to do. Oh, okay. Um and you were probably the easiest target in the office if yeah. you think about it. Yeah, exactly. You know, let's go for the the newbie. Let's give her a serve because yeah. I'm going out the door. Yeah, because there was a bit of emotion there. So rationally, I could say that's that came from a place where he was reacting to something. But those words stayed with me for a really long time. Well, well till this day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and and I think I think so. I think there's there's the in, internal voice that's asking all of those what if questions. But there's probably also some times where you've been challenged, or you may have had that feedback rightly or wrongly, that stays with you and helps to guide that internal voice that, you know. Mm. It's a good example. Mm. So if you do suffer from 
imposter syndrome, there's always that that little angel or devil sitting on your shoulder going, well, you're probably going to fail at this. Mm. So even though, as you say, rationally, you know you've got the skills and you've got the time to put into it and you know if you throw yourself in, it's all going to be fine and you'll get there. There's that little bit, there's that element always of what if, what if it doesn't happen? What if I do fail? What if, and ultimately, what's the worst thing that can happen? Mm. You know? Exactly. I think it's interesting in a subjective industry like advertising when you're putting down words on paper and people can either love them or hate them. Um, that leads to procrastination because you're, you're putting a bit of your soul out there. Um, and so that can make that process really hard. But mm. I've, what I've noticed is that when you do share your ideas and share your thinking, it may, it takes that burden away from are those words right or wrong? Are those words the best they can be? Inviting that collaboration and inviting those opinions helps to make it better. Mm. And and so I think that's where, as a perfectionist, you have to open the door to other people <laughs> <laughs> and value their opinion yeah. um, and not be afraid. But yeah, I'm a I'm a great procrastinator, oh, and uh, you know, yeah. a deadline is really important for me um, because. It, it's where it's, you know, okay, make or break, all this, has gotta, yeah. Yeah, this has <laughs> got to happen now. Yeah. I think also too, talking about this idea that other people's opinions aren't fact mm. is something that we should really kind of bring home to. I think it's so easy, like with the example that you said about when you were younger, especially when you're young, you, you're so earnest and you want people's opinions but their opinion is just that. It's just an opinion. It doesn't actually, that wasn't actually what was going on with you. Mm. But trying to, to say, okay, well, that's your opinion, but I don't have to live by that, mm. you know, is, is really a tricky thing. Um, yeah. Now, you are also a mother. Do you find the imposter syndrome sneaks into your mothering or is it completely different? I think at first it did. Mm. I remember leaving the hospital with my first child and feeling like, I just get to walk out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like now no, what? No one's going to check on me and what? Huh? Like no you're just trusting? Yeah, exactly. Um, but you learn very quickly. And I think there's, yes, in the early years in mother's group and when everyone's figuring it out, there can be a bit of judgment and there can be a bit of do it this way or do it that way. Um, as my kids get older, I think that's turning more into just understanding the weight of the responsibility that I have mm. and making sure I don't mess this job up because ultimately it's, you know, my my career and my job is so important to me, but my job as a mother is my priority and and getting it right for those guys is really what's important to me. So I don't, it's, it's funny that you asked that question because I hadn't really thought about imposter syndrome in that way. Mm. Um, I much more think about it in terms of my career where others are directly sitting in judgment. I think as a mother, you can say, that's good advice. I'm going to take that on board. <laughs> that's not good advice. And you could say it's, you know, my kids are unlike any other kids and I'm unlike, our dynamic is unlike any other dynamic in a family. But yes, I think at first it was just, it was probably fear of knowing everything to do in every situation and yeah. having this little life in your hands that's totally dependent on you. But as they become more independent, it's more about saying, I really need to prioritise being a good role model for them and helping 
turn these boys into good men and, you know, sending them off to have a positive impact on the world. Yeah. Mm. No pressure. Yeah, it's more the weight of that pressure than imposter syndrome. Hey, before I let you go, um, let's have a look. Have you, have, have you actually seen the imposter syndrome test? I have seen the imposter mm. syndrome test, but we don't have to do it. I just want to <laughs> let's just talk about the questions because actually, uh, if you you look it up online, it's it's worth having a look. You just you know chuck it in your Google imposter syndrome test, and it does say you know this is not a uh, professional clinical uh, assessment, so you know put that out there. But it is interesting to read, so let's have a look. Number one, I feel like I don't deserve any of the success I've attained. Mm. Two, even if people praise my skills, I still don't think I'm as accomplished as they think I am. Yeah, that, that's me. Yep. Three, I may get rewards for my hard work, but I don't feel I've earned them. Mm. 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 Nah, maybe no, not. No, yeah. earned them. Yeah, that's good. Okay, that's good. Four, I'm afraid that people will soon realise that I'm not as smart as I make myself out to be. <laughs> No way, man. No. No, we're smart. <laughs> Five, most of the accomplishments I have were just a fluke. Six, I find it difficult to accept compliments. Seven, I downplay my achievements because I don't think they're as amazing as people think they are. If any of those resonate with you, go and have a look at it because it is really quite interesting to see where you sit in the greater scheme of it. And interestingly, will imposter syndrome be a problem in the future? Because speaking to one of the younger people on my team, she Mm. was talking about um, in her generation, it's sort of the other way. It's a bit more you can do anything and believe in yourself and um, maybe imposter syndrome is a dying. We're just starting to realise that it's there and maybe it's already on its way out. I don't know. But interestingly, I think it is permeating organisations. I talked to a graduate recently who is in a graduate program at a big organisation and one of their first initiations into the organization was a talk about imposter syndrome and and HR saying to them, you're all here for a reason. Um, You're here because we think that you can do a job for us Mm. and park that at the door. Wow, that's great. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting development as well. I think it will be interesting though, if it flips to the other side where, where no one's an imposter. And then you've what, got people what that have lost? aren't doing any of the work yeah. because they just think that that's, yeah. that's, that's just by well, the that's by. It. What are the positives of imposter syndrome? That's I right. I think it's maybe it's actually, we, we see it in a negative light, but it's probably a really channeled in the right way. It's a productive thing. You know, when I was in high school mm. and we were choosing our career path, Yes. Because you know, as a 16-year-old, you really know what that is, right? <laughs> Careers counsellors um, have got absolutely. a big job. But I remember in year 10, my English teacher saying, and I've shared this before, but my English teacher saying to me, oh my goodness, please, I'm just letting you know, mm. you are not a writer. Never have a career as an author because mm-hmm. you are not good enough. Well, that was my interpretation of what I heard anyway. And I remember thinking at the time, what the heck would you know? I would read back what I had written and I loved what I really love. I love words. So I would love reading that and I would I would read things and think, holy moly, did I actually write that? Because, you know, when you read something yeah, six yeah. months later and you're like, did I actually write yeah, that? That was wow, really awesome. Sounds really smart. So then I had the same experience um, a couple of years later with my music teacher. I wanted to um, continue on my study with music. I thought that I would have a career in music and I wanted to go to the College of the Arts. Mm-hmm. And I remember her saying to me, 
you need to let that go because you're just not actually good enough to apply. And, you know, the, the mm. competition's really fierce and I just I just want to soften the blow. You're not going to get in. And when I got my results back, and I believed her, I fully believed of her. Of course you When would. I got my results back for my um, year 12 music results for our cats, I got 100 out of 100. Hey. So, in it, but I believed her. So I never applied. Whereas mm. the English teacher, I was like, what the hell do you know? I am an awesome writer. So it's just so interesting. Yes. I can it. relate to this idea of other people's thoughts influencing you, but being strong enough to go, what do you know? But also being weak enough to go, oh my goodness, you're right. I, I'm not good enough. I think it's interesting too, when you can reflect back on things that have happened like that, where it, it might be a particular thing where you can go, I can rise above. Um, a really good friend of mine is an architect and he's amazing at it. And he always wanted to be an architect. And when I was at school, I wanted to be an architect too, but I probably didn't want it in the same way as he wanted it. So in my mind, I didn't want it enough. Mm. Whereas if I, he hadn't have been my friend, I wouldn't change him for the world because mm. I love him tits. But um, I love him to bits. I said I love his something <laughs> then. I love <laughs> his bits. I love his bits. I don't love his... Anyway. Uh, but do you know what I mean? Like it's all about circumstances and who you've got around you and what they say. And that mm. idea that uh, maybe we've come full circle too far with kids and encouraging them these days and saying, you can do anything, mm. you can be this, My you can be that. My parents definitely did that to me though. I know that when I was younger, I fully believed I could do whatever because that's just all they ever told me. But that's great because you've carried that until, through. Yeah, but until you, yes, I think it is great, but then there has to come a point where there's a bit of reality as well <laughs> yes. brought into that. And I think there's a, maybe, I think this generation, a lot of them think that they can do things that they can't or that they have to earn Mm. You can't step into a workplace necessarily and perform the same job as someone who's had 20 years experience. No, no, that's true. But I think that's what's that's my interpretation of what's happened there is it's got a little bit yes. misled and especially being an employer, um, I find it really interesting this generation and how they actually behave in the workplace, you know, I find that not everybody, no. but there certainly are some that uh, there's just the sense of entitlement. Um I'm just for the record, not my current team, but there has been in the past <laughs> a sense of entitlement that I'm like, oh my goodness, this yeah. is not the real world, you know? That's a common story. Hey, I have another review here. Oh, please. From Ricka Branson. Oh. Uh, no Hi, relation Ricka. to, well, maybe. Maybe she um, is. Anyway, it says, the title is Love It. Well, we love good. you. <laughs> you two are part of my morning commute and I love listening and have also learned so much more from the information you discuss. Also love the honesty and real life stories. Oh, there's plenty of those. I know. <laughs> We're very transparent and our husbands probably loathe us for it. Authentic. Well, mine wouldn't even know. <laughs> he wouldn't even listen to no, so I could say whatever. Um, that's so funny. Hey, let us know where you're listening to us from. Was it the car? Take a snap. Um, tag us in if you're on Instagram or Facebook. We would love to see where you are as you're listening to our podcast. We one day maybe should just run a competition for the most unique places Ooh, someone's listened to us. I like that. Yes. Also, too, on that idea that Chris would never listen, maybe because he hasn't got his podcast app sorted out. Well, that's the chances are he probably doesn't have his podcast app app sorted out, but I'm sure he has all of his English Premier League podcast <laughs> apps sorted out or something that he would deem important. Well, there you go. So, but my point is, if there's mm. someone in your life you think needs to have more podcasts in their life, help them out, get oh, on yeah, there, get on subscribe it. to The Wellness Collective, and that's just going to come in for them every week. Easily, and straight in. their life will be happier, healthier, and better. 